Hello, this is Anora. Welcome to the Before You Quit podcast. Hello, everybody. I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. That is why we do what we do on these Before You Quit podcasts. My name is Mitch Schultz, and I am your host, and I'm also the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry. Uh, Hey, I assume that you probably have a little bit more time on your hands with uh, all that is going on with the coronavirus. Many people are not able to go to school, cannot work at church, cannot go to work, wherever it is that you're working. So it could be that, uh, hey, this could be a good recommendation to someone. As they're begging for something to do, just uh, call them up and say, hey, you got to listen to this podcast from Before You Quit. And I think today's topic will especially be one that will be stimulating and uh, challenging and also encouraging to, uh, to all of us, as uh, particularly those of us who are in ministry. Uh, okay, we live in a day where increasingly people are living in a vacuum. Uh, many around us are not sure what to believe or even not sure what they believe. And I think it's safe to say that even in church, uh, people are struggling with uh, uh, how to believe, what to believe as they navigate through all of this in society. And this is why it's so important that the pastor and the church leader, and even those of us who are committed believers and love the church and are part of the body of Christ, own what we believe. I think it was R.C. Sproul who said that everyone has a theology. Uh, everyone lives off a set of doctrine. It's either good theology, though, or it's going to be bad theology. Uh, but everyone believes something, and they, they do what they do based on a set of beliefs, their worldview, whatever it might be. And I think you would agree that, uh, that we do what we do because of what we innately hold on to in our belief system. What we believe drives us to do what we do. It also determines how we view things around us. Uh, as we look at what's happening in our world today with this uh, pandemic, uh, what you believe matters. I mean, doctrine really matters as you uh, observe a lot of insecurity and uncertainty around us. I'm reminded of Paul's encouragement to Timothy, where he urges Timothy to watch his life and doctrine closely. Doctrine is practical. It's meant to uh, have living implications. So it's critical that the pastor also commits himself deeply to sound biblical doctrine. And that's what we want to talk about today in this podcast, uh, the pastor and good doctrine. And it's exciting for me to sit down with Pastor Dan Sams about this. I don't know Dan. I've had one conversation with him, and that is in his podcast. Uh, but man, uh, we became friends and resonated together on what we believe. It was really just a fun time. Uh, pastor Dan is, is a, a pastor who is deeply committed to doctrine, who believes that if a pastor is going to be passionate about anything, it needs to be on what he believes concerning the truths of God's Word. Uh, Dan's primary role is equipping the saints to make disciples. He is doing something rather unusual. He plants house churches, and he trains shepherds with Restoration House Church Network. He also teaches theology for Liberty University and also for something that he started himself, uh, the Underground Seminary. And all of that is on the website. I'll give you those links uh, on our website page, www.beforeyouquit.us. Dan is in love with his wife, Christy. It's awesome to hear. They have three kids, a few chickens, and an awesome dog named Sam. And he loves coffee, does fine woodworking, 
and writes theology curriculum. And his wife, uh, Christy, is a licensed counselor. She owns her own practice, Hope Counseling and Consultant Services, uh, LLC. And she's an incredible mother, according to Dan. And uh, she also loves a variety of of hobbies. Together, they raise three kids, uh, lead a church, enjoy God's blessings, and they do all that in Amherst, Ohio. All right. I'll take a deep breath here and transition to that podcast. And I really, really look forward to you hearing this conversation that I had with Dan Sams. Let's go to it right now. All right, I have the privilege of talking to a new friend. In fact, this is the first time I am looking at him, first time we've had an opportunity <laughs> to, to even talk. So Dan Sams, thank you for being part of the Before You Quit podcast. Yeah, thanks. I'm glad to be here. This is a blast already. So we're going to, yeah, yeah. So we're going to have uh, uh, 45 minutes or so here, like two guys sitting over coffee talking doctrine. Yeah. And uh, I'm excited about doing this. Um We'll, we'll talk a little bit about maybe how we connected and, and how this came about, but uh, yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, how did you end up doing what you're doing now? Yeah. So and what um, are you I, doing? And Yeah. I am a pastor and professor. Uh, I teach theology for a couple of different uh, training organizations, and then I am a house church planter. So I train up uh, people to lead house churches. We uh, uh, with I, with our other elders, oversee a network of house churches. And um, yeah, I got into this. Uh, I was in college and in my undergraduate, started really developing a desire for theology, not just pastoral training, mm-hmm. and had intentions of becoming a pastoral counseling major in my master's degree. And uh, I studied under a guy named Dr. John Douglas Morrison, who is just a brilliant theologian and my love for theology was so strong. Uh, and I had an opportunity to either be a graduate assistant and study under him or, uh, go the pastoral counseling route. And, um, I went the theology route and Mm -hmm. I'm the better for it. So, and that's led me to times in big churches and in small churches and all kinds of ministry. And now here teaching theology and making disciples. Is there a connection between your your passion for theology and doctrine and you ending up doing house churches? I mean, there has to. You're not doing that yeah. obviously haphazardly. It, uh, yeah. It, it's a, no, no one does that unless they're either crazy or very intentional, right? Uh, and and both might be the case <laughs> for me. Uh, mm. No, we. Um, uh, some of it was uh, in the large church I had been a part of. It was a non-denominational church. Just doctrine seemed to be continually pushed to the side in, mm-hmm. in the name of practicality or in the name of attraction. And uh, I realized that that was really bad. And there are plenty of traditional churches that teach good doctrine. So I, I'm not one of those guys that says house church is the only right way. But mm-hmm. I saw in house church a way that we could support missions. We could function light on our feet. We could be ready to be underground. Um, we could do international missions in a unique way and we could teach good doctrine and equip people to teach doctrine. And so there's a whole long story we don't have time for and how, I, mm-hmm. how specifically I got into that. But the answer is yes. Um, that is di- directly tied to the opportunity to teach good doctrine. Okay. Well, I look forward to seeing, I mean, it reminds us that, that doctrine is practical. You know, it's, I remember it in is. college, uh, I was sharing with you, I live in Tacoa which is where Tacoa Falls College is located. And I remember back in college, you know, there were times where, and this is from sitting in classrooms for hours after hours, you know, listening to professors. But sometimes we'd say, oh, you know, this is all just abstract. And what are we going to do oh, with this no. in real life? And, and that's not a good start. You know, later no. you realize that, uh, 
that doctrine does matter. Uh, I was sharing a little bit about my story with you and, and some of the, you know, a lot of people, and obviously I listen to this regularly. Uh, I often refer to my two listeners, but I think it's doubled uh, since then. <laughs> uh, but they're familiar with me talking about how it's, it's really in suffering uh, or any kind of crucible that we face that, that suddenly we realize how important what we believe is. And yeah. if, we, if we don't believe something solid, if we don't have solid doctrine, then we're going to be like that, that uh, you know, wave of doubts that, that James talks about in James chapter 2. You're exactly But we'll right. get to that. So the point with that is that do- doctrine, it, this, is a, this is meant to be a very practical conversation. It's not just Absolutely. Uh, one heady guy talking to maybe a less heady yeah. guy talking about <laughs> theology and doctrine. And you're the heady guy, by the way. No. Oh, really? Oh, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just want to make sure that was clear. Don't um, be so sure about that. Yeah, yeah. We'll, find, we'll do a poll at the end of this. We'll, we'll poll the four listeners and see what they say. <laughs> All right. So I, I was really intrigued when I uh, first connected with you. You do a, your own podcast. What is, what is mm-hmm. it called? Uh, so it's just called the House Church Podcast. Really mm-hmm. practical. It's my wife and I talking about House Church and, um, making disciples in just our context. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the one I listened to, you were, you were talking specifically about uh, preaching and teaching doctrine, the, the value yeah. of that. Uh, and it was, it was wonderful to just hear you and your wife interact together. It was just very Thanks. natural. Uh, you guys have a great dynamic together. Um, so what is, what is your heart in this? What is your burden? And, and particularly with a podcast, but just generally... Yeah, well, first and, and, and kind of not the least of which is just in 2 Timothy 2, 2, which I'll read really quick. And it says, as Paul's writing to his protege, Timothy, and he says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Um, and I always point out, you know, doctrine just means teaching. Mm-hmm. And when we're, when we're communicating the truth of God, we're doing doctrine in some mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And so um, some of this is that, you know, this is a command of God. Uh, but also I noticed something uh, about, you know, I, when I'm studying God, I'm delighting in him. I, I'm, I'm being grounded in the truth. And I also noticed that in my, um, my particular field of study in theology, we were doing, you know, advanced systematic theology. And I was noticing that the people in my classes were grounded. They, they weren't shaken when bad things happened. Um, they had an understanding of the truth of scripture. And I think sometimes we would forget that not everybody had been studying God's word and theology like this. And so I would come across people who were struggling with their faith and essentially were, were denying key aspects of the faith without realizing it. And it hit me somewhere along the line that, man, when people are grounded there's more joy. God is glorified. Uh, so much apologetics is taken care of just in that there is no lack of understanding. People are less likely to drift away because they actually know what they believe. And so, so much there. But I was also noticing that the doctrine was like a framework underneath the surface. Mm. Uh, it was like the structure of the building that allows everything on, you know, on the outside that's only what's seen to actually be stronger. Yeah, the strength so, of the building is determined by the quality of the foundation. Exactly it? right. That's and, pretty um, profound, so, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it's, that'll, absolutely. That'll be and quoted. especially, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so as, and especially in a world where we are seeing so many fall away uh, in the evangelical church, and many, many times uh, it's people who maybe didn't actually know the truth in the first place. They grew up around the church. Um, 
Uh, well, we can look at even the state of theology mm-hmm. study that Ligonier Ministries does, and uh, something like 73% of quote-unquote evangelicals do not have a biblical worldview. And that's troublesome to me. That means somewhere along the line, we are not teaching doctrine. And um, yeah. yeah, one so of the things I'd like, to, I'd like to circle back to at some point in this conversation uh, is the importance of teaching that when our, our children are young. And I've, yes. I've, got, I've got one particular story I want to talk about. So you, yeah. you define doctrine uh, just briefly. What, what, how did you define it as again? How, how would you so, define doctrine? Uh, the, the, the basic meaning of the word is just teaching or instruction. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually when we say doctrine, we are referring to some type of systematic theology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some people say, well, I'm not really into doctrine. And I'm like, well, if you teach anything, you're into doctrine mm-hmm. uh, because it, is, it just means teaching. But normally we're, we're talking, when we say doctrine, we're talking about established principles, established theological realities, usually systematic that we're communicating in a systematic way. And so the, I would say broadly, it's just teaching, but more specifically, we usually are referring to systematic theology. And, that, and that'd be biblical theology. Biblical um, theology, yeah. Yeah. An arti- yeah, an article I pulled out defines a, that which is taught. It refers to the Christian, Christian teaching about Scripture, God, man, Christ, salvation, church, and the end of all things. Um, I, I think I talked about this in my la- last podcast when we talked about the importance of theology and suffering that everybody believes something, you know, like R.C. Sproul says, everyone has a theology. It's either good theology or bad theology. Yeah. Uh, So we want people to have good, solid biblical theology. Uh, Someone said recently that the, the problem with most pastors and and perhaps the, the evangelical church as a, as a, in general is not that they don't, that they struggle with the inerrancy of scripture. I, I think the, the evangelical church would, maybe there's some conversation that we can have uh, challenging that, but for the most part, let's argue that people believe in the inerrancy of scripture, uh, but they don't believe in the sufficiency of scripture. Hmm. Uh, do you agree with that distinction, that tension, and how do you respond to that? Yeah, and while I would, while I would say there, there is probably a problem with both, I think you're mm-hmm. right that the bigger issue is the, um, the issue of sufficiency. Uh, it's, it, people will ignore 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that, that says, you know, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. And um, we're seeing this in our own denomination where people are saying, well, we've got this cultural issue and we don't, what they'll essentially say is they don't like what scripture has to say about it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, or they'll say, oh, we want something fresh. And the thing that's more common is I'll hear people say, well, I want to hear a fresh word from God, or I mm-hmm. want, um, I want, I want a, a spirit led thing. Uh, I've even heard, unfortunately in our own denomination, people say things like, well, the Holy spirit trumps scripture. As mm-hmm. if God is going to give them new revelation. And I'm like, well, Trump's like, well, God doesn't contradict himself. Why would we even bring this up? Um, but yeah, I think that's, a, that's an issue. And we're seeing it play out a lot in the New Apostolic Reformation, false teaching, uh, where they're, they're talking very much about we want a fresh word. Or I think Bill Johnson and his group in the book, uh, Physics of Heaven, talk about, well, we want to look to New Age to see if they have truths we haven't found yet. I'm like, well, why would you need to do that? The word of God is sufficient. Why are you looking anywhere else? And, um, but we're seeing this, that, that influence, unfortunately, of lacking a view of understanding that, uh, that scripture is sufficient. And they're going to all kinds of other places for what they believe to be truth. And it's bad. 
Yeah. Uh, before we recorded, I asked you if you were comfortable with us talking about our denomination yeah. and we're both yeah. like, yeah, why not? I think we need to be challenged. I think there yeah. needs to be some hard conversations. Uh, for, for one reason, the culture is putting a lot of pressure uh, on the church and this, yes. this sense of otherness of being this distinct people away from the world is, is really being challenged. And that obviously is is um, uh, creating some real tensions on on you know moral issues, gender issues, and and things like that. Even in our denomination, there's a lot of yes. conversations about some of these things. Uh, I I think uh, too, and I'd love for you to speak to this, is that we we can sometimes be cautious in addressing what is suspicious. Uh, for example, back we were in England serving in England when the Toronto blessing was really. A huge thing. And the British actually fed that. There was a thousand Brits a week going to Toronto to attend that um, revival. And I'm using air quotes when I say that. And so I had to firm up. I had to, in fact, that was, that was the time where I really started to dig in and I'd been a pastor Mm -hmm. already for 10 years. And I thought I'm a little, little bit shaky on some areas of my theology. Mm -hmm. And I, I started reading a number of books and and I felt like took a stand, took a, a real firm yeah. stand, unapologetic stand on on some doctrinal, key doctrinal issues. Uh, well, really all of them. I, I, I struggle a little bit with this whole essentials versus non-essentials because that's up for grabs what that means. Yeah. But our, our denomination that time, this was, it was a test for us. We, in mm-hmm. fact, I believe the leadership had a statement that let's, let's not condemn it or judge it because mm-hmm. if it's of God, then we want to you know, not interfere, but let's oh. just re- keep our distance, but respectfully, uh, you know, not, uh, not be too harsh. Um, oh. What concerns you there? Because that wasn't just a reaction of our denomination, but many were reacting that way yeah. because it, you know, to some people yeah. who were not discerning, it looked like there was a lot of good stuff going on. Well, first of all, that's an abdication of shepherding role. You know, Mm -hmm. part of what I'm supposed to do as a shepherd is to protect the flock against false doctrine. And there's so much language. Paul's admonition to to Ephesus elders is, watch out, there's wolves coming. Uh, We see an example of of Paul and other apostles that are naming names of false teachers. Uh, So we see a biblical paradigm where we're supposed to call them out. And and even Galatians, Paul so firmly calls out false teachers. Um, So if we're not calling out error, and we're trying to err on, quote unquote, the side of caution, which is actually not caution, it's just false peacemaking. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's happening is we're leaving the sheep susceptible to wolves. There's a second thing that's happening. um, And we're seeing this with a lot of the NAR stuff and things coming out of Bethel Redding and things like that. Where false could you define? Teaching, could you define NAR? That might be a new term. Yeah, that's a good. The, the new yeah. apostolic. But don't Reformation, lose your train of thought, please. All right. The new apostolic Reformation is kind of the broad term we're using to refer to uh, this movement of of loosely affiliated uh, teachers and churches who believe uh, there's a variety of things that they're not all the same, but essentially that. There are modern-day apostles and prophets with the same level of authority as the Twelve, and essentially that they speak things that are new revelation from God, uh, denying the under- any understanding of apostolicity for canon of Scripture, uh, denying the fact that for the last 2,000 years there's been agreement that the apostle if the apostles are done, uh, we can have missionaries in the broad sense of the term, like apostle means sent one, but as Sometimes, far as the yeah. 
as far as the authority of, of, of the 12, that's clearly gone. But these guys are now saying they have it. And there's plenty of things that come with it, this view of dominionism and, and what the kingdom of God means. It usually is associated with some type of a prosperity movement. Um, but in short, they are diminishing the authority of scripture and saying, we've got new revelation coming in. And usually it leads to, well, the old scripture doesn't matter as much because now you have fresh words from this fresh apostle. And... Um, that's you know, when more we, to when it we, than that, but that's... Yeah, when we talk about terms, uh, you know, and, and I'd like to speak a little bit about key doctrines and why they're so important, but the antithesis is also uh, there that there are terms that counter doctrine that we need to be paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can refer to them as buzzwords, uh, but yes. we, you know, when we, when we hear something that uh, is not familiar, or let's say your local church is is um, on, on, you know, singing this new kind of emphasis or new song of, you know, for example, we, you know, we're going to seek more um, mm-hmm. or just, just the word more. There might be a big banner in the front mm-hmm. more. We want more of God. Yeah. We want to seek him more. Uh, what, what, what tugs at you there when you see that sort of thing? Because they're intentional yeah. words, you know, they or, are. or even, you know, we want, we want God's presence to be manifest. We want more of yeah. God. How does doctrine sort of like a two magnets that are polar opposites yeah. maybe push against each other there? Well, yeah, it's worth saying this is uh, part of what's happening. So when, it, when a word like that is used, and it's usually in some type of an amorphous way that sounds good. You know, it's, uh, we want more of God. We want to see greater things than these, you know, and it all sounds nice, but the the question is always, what do you mean by that? Mm -hmm. And many times you'll hear, and this is almost always the case with false teachers, is they begin with lack of clarity. Uh, They'll say things that are kind of fuzzy that aren't necessarily directly wrong, but kind of give you that, "Mm, what? And what happens is if we have not taught good doctrine, part of what doctrine does is it creates clear logical categories. It's the reason why we call it catechizing or catechism. Mm-hmm. We're teaching clear logical doctrine. And so a false teacher comes along, they'll say, well, we want more of this, more of that. Nobody has taught the category of the sufficiency of scripture. That, that's, you know, we, all I need is in the word of God here as far as revelation. God has already provided that. And if I haven't taught that from scripture, from say 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, then that category is not there for the listener. So when somebody comes along and hears more, all that sounds nice, but it doesn't fit into a logical category. And so an example of some of the things that are going on is, you know, the same guys that are saying, we want more, we want this fresh prophetic word, are some of the same ones that are saying like, well, you know, everything Jesus did on this earth, he did as a man, not as God. And so we say, wait a minute. And they'll say, you know, because so that means we can be filled with the Holy Spirit in the same way and do all the same things he did. And so then we say, oh, okay, that's interesting. Well, but if you know that, you know, God is immutable and he is unchanging, that's a category. And you know that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. So when somebody tries to teach what we call the kenosis heresy, as, um, as Bill Johnson from Bethel Redding does, and he says, well, Jesus gave up some of his divine attributes while he was on this earth, right? And so one of the things that we run into is, is this issue with the... False teaching happens, but because people don't have doctrinal categories, they can't notice that it doesn't fit right. 
And so then it's similar when somebody comes along and says, we just want more, we want a fresh word. And all that sounds good, but I need to ask what doctrinal category does it fit into? Yeah, I, th I think and, that's really good. That's really good. So we're encouraging people to, uh, when they, they hear things, to say, okay, what, what theological grid or doctrinal grid does that fit yeah. into? Uh, yeah. For us to be discerning if it's a wise thing for us to be yeah. joining in on, uh, yeah, a common one is we want more of God's presence or we want we want more of His the Holy Spirit's power. And um, again, I I often re and I understand. I I think for the most part, people their their hearts are right. I I know what they're trying to say. I get nervous when I hear a pastor pray and say, "Lord, we want Your manifest presence mm -hmm. to be here today." I want to run out of the room because I'm yeah. scared if, if that yeah. actually happens, then yeah. <laughs> you're in the presence of the, the yeah. all consuming uh, yeah. presence of God who, I mean, it, it's, it's just a, it's a frightening yeah. reverence. Frightening maybe is not the right yeah. term, but, but what I'm reacting to is, yeah. is comparing that to what I believe. Yeah. Well, and, and, uh, and, a, and so many times when they say we want your fire to fall or your manifest presence, mm -hmm. they think of tingles. And I look at what the word of God says about God's manifestation of his presence. And it's people get burned up. <laughs> this mm, yeah. judgment. It's, it, you know, it's, it's scary. You, you are not ready for the manifest presence of God. And if you think it is a tingle, then you just might be an idolater. Yeah. You're talking about the theology of tingle. Yes. <laughs> Which actually another way we, we talk about doctrine, you know, that's a lot of that is actually Friedrich Schleiermacher in, uh, liberalism, the idea that I am doing theology based on my feelings, that's really out of a total uh, liberalism that, uh, that came out of modernity. It is not a biblical thing. And um, that's one of the things that I'm also, you're talking about what we hear, some of these things where I'm like, I want more of you. And it's all this in this context of emotions and things like that. I say, well, this sure sounds just like Schleiermacher. This doesn't sound like biblical Christianity at all. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's, that's you know, uh, this is this is something that burdens me with with those that I work closely with, and you know, particularly with our tribe or our our denomination. Uh, in in Second Timothy three, it it clearly says that in the last days there will be people who will come and you know teach things that are false and will be uh, tickling. No, it's not it's not Second Timothy three. It's First uh, Timothy three, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, and so one, one of uh, oftentimes when I'm, I'm taking time to think through on this, uh, the, the tickling of ears, the false teaching will be happening really close to us. It's, it's not Mormonism. It's not the yeah. out, outliners that are evidently false, but they're, they're near us. What, what is your, what is your sense on how uh, we ought to be, self-aware particularly as in our denomination that if there is going to be deception it's going to be sneaky it's going to be subtle oh yeah uh it's going to be close to us and uh how do we know it how do we react to it how does someone yeah. maybe sitting in the pew who's concerned about what they're hearing preach maybe say this this really bothers me it scares me here what do i do with this yeah um well first of all you're right it's going to come from within our ranks i mean that's there's not a lot of talk in scripture about what those. That's frightening. That's frightening. Yeah, it's isn't scary. It? Um, and it's interesting when you bring up concern, how quickly people are like, oh, no, 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 that could never happen here. Mm -hmm. um, but it certainly is coming within our ranks and it's always in subtlety. And um, so, one thing is when you hear something as a follower of Jesus that just does not set well, 
uh, go directly to the word of God. When you're talking about categories, figure out, does that fit with scripture without you having to shoehorn it in? Because um, many times it'll be fuzzy and it'll, you'll say, well, I guess that could fit. No, it shouldn't be like that. You should be able to say, here is where it is in scripture. Here's where it fits good. We're, we're in good shape. Um, but when there is error, I highly recommend go to the source and confront it with God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, follow the old Matthew 18 principle. You, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. You have the word of God. It is authoritative. So uh, don't think that you are somehow being righteous, holy, by not saying anything. That is not a virtue. Uh, it is virtuous for you to confront the error. And it might require calling on other believers or even on some, some of the other elders, uh, but confront it. Uh, use scripture, dig into the word. I mean, that's, that's one of the first things I hear, but it is worth noting the first time you hear error, it won't sound like error. It'll just sound like something that seems a little fuzzy. It'll be hard to identify. And um, that's where we normally see. And then we, we usually give benefit of a doubt way too long. That's uh, kind of what yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I'd love your reaction to this. Spurgeon defines error as not necessarily speaking that which is false, but withholding the the whole gospel, the the yes. the, the entire message of the gospel. Uh, how are you seeing that happening? You know, you can have you can have someone teaching really good stuff. It's it's you know principles are strong, and maybe the Bible story is being exposited well. But in your heart, what's missing that concerns you sometimes? Uh, so many times it's a, it's a misunderstanding of the human depravity, human sinfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, I, not to pick on them, but they are prominent. I'll, I'll usually pick on Bethel Redding <laughs> because you can actually look at Bethel's statement of faith and it's pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's not awesome, but you know, most of us would probably agree on the technical words in the statement of faith. And if you pin down a lot of their teachers, they'll give you accurate answers for a lot of things, but then you'll hear them uh, gloss over sin. It's a very common thing. Uh, They'll gloss over any teaching related to sin and the actual need that Jesus had to be atoned. He had to be our atonement. He had to pay sin debt. Uh, The wrath of God was poured out on him. And you'll notice it typically is, uh, it typically will get back to the atonement will get ignored and the need for it uh, and, and subsequently, there, there won't be talk of human sinfulness, and there will be a lot more talk on what you get from God. It'll be, you know, try hard, get blessing. It'll be uh, worship this way, enjoy this experience. It won't be repent and believe. And that's, that's one of the troubling things. Or there'll be these add-ons, uh, as we're seeing, where, you know, like a Bethel Redding that is, you know, uh, affirming this Christ alignment ministry that does Christian tarot cards. And I'm like, that's just paganism. It's divination. Mm-hmm. And God has called that an abomination. And they'll say, oh, but this is a redeemed version of it. I'm like, you can't redeem what God calls an abomination. Yeah, there's, there's Bible verses on them or Bible stories, but which yeah. in fact, they're, when it's investigated, they're actually not. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So um, there's, a, there's a common, love your react, what, what doctrinal category would you put this against? It's a common thing we're hearing, even in our tribe, that the reason why Christ died for you is because of your great value. Oh. And, and, and that may, sorry, got you going there. Huh? So, <laughs> yeah. Again, it's a popular, it's, it's a popular teaching. Um, I'm hearing it in youth groups. I've seen videos in a youth group yeah. that I was visiting that's being projected mm-hmm. through a spoken word type of format. Yeah. Um, so you hear something like that and it's, it, it sounds really good. Wow. You know, in, in some yes, sense, yes, we're image bearers. 
sure. of, of yeah. Christ, uh, of God. We're created in his image. Uh, so it's, it, it makes sense on one hand to say, yeah, you are valuable because you're made in his creation. But to tie or to link the atonement to the, the oh, value of yeah. the person. So what, what yeah. doctrine do you put that against? Well, I would, I would put it against uh, the basic doctrine of uh, salvation being by grace and not merit. Um, and, you know, we have, we have scripture that talks about there is none righteous, no, not even one. No one seeks after God. Um, in sin, my mother conceived me. There's chapter after chapter, verse after verse that talks about how we are without God of no value from a meritorious perspective. We can certainly say that, as you say, image bearers, we, we all are, are reflecting God's image in some way. And so, yes, we can say there's value from that perspective. But again, even that is from God. But mm-hmm. as far as in our fallen state, there is no merit. And so actually when we talk about the five solas of the Reformation, we'll often contrast, we'll say we're saved by faith and not works, by grace and not merit. Uh, merit is that idea that I have something inside me that had potential or inherent value beyond my being an image bearer. And uh, you're right, though. There's so much talk of like, well, Jesus's atonement. I think Todd White's classic false teaching says something like, well, Jesus's death on the cross shows how much I'm worth. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, well, no, you're, you're a wretched sinner. You're depraved. Like you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Uh, verse after verse that talks about you are worth nothing. He is not on who you are. And, and I'll say, you better be thankful for that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. picture, uh, picture yourself a teenager hearing that message that uh, you are, you know, Christ died for you because of your value and you're struggling and you're going to react by thinking, well, but that kind of conflicts with how I feel. But if a, if a youth pastor says you, you are a sinner, you're depraved, you're, uh, you're corrupted by sin, um, that, I think that gets the kids. And I think that I grew up with, I think, a clear understanding of the gospel and a, a good, healthy mm-hmm. emphasis of, of my sinfulness. And it always gave me hope because when I was told, yeah, Mitch, you're a sinner, you need a savior. It's like I get to look for someone outside of myself. When I'm told yeah. that I, I have value, it's why Christ died for me, but I don't feel very valuable. <laughs> yeah. uh, the reason I don't feel valuable is because of the sin in me. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, so I, I think there's that contrast. Uh, again, this is where mm-hmm. our doctrine emphasis yeah. is is practical and it makes a difference and yeah. it, it, it does it has implications it has outcomes that message yeah. will cause people to either repent and come to christ for forgiveness and for renewal or go out and try yeah. harder you know yeah. well and, and the reality is most of us if we're if we have any concept of the law of god or right living at all we know we're sinners and so to tell that guy that hey you're great and you have value I mean, he can check that against his own own internal morality and know, yeah, nope, yeah, I'm no, awful. I, and so exactly. that whole message then sounds like a lie. And so if we begin with, you're great, when the person knows they are not, you, mm-hmm. you are coming off a liar from the beginning. But if we begin with like, hey, you're a sinner, but God is a good God, mm-hmm. that's a message we can grab onto and praise God for it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Let's talk a little bit about the importance of preaching doctrine. Um, yeah. I, someone not long ago, I, I commented on how, in, in my experience, the average uh, person in the, in the pew doesn't really understand doctrine. If you ask them to you know, explain a particular term, they might struggle with it. And this guy says, well, that's why I don't preach it. 
because <laughs> people are because they don't know it. Therefore, I'm not going to preach it. Uh, <laughs> how do, oh how do you react to that? Um, well, yeah, obviously it's it's crazy. The idea that I'm not telling somebody something because they don't know it, just the foolishness in that. Um, but also, I think some of it is we we don't understand that there are methods of teaching. Well, actually, first of all, just children understand doctrine. But uh, in the in kind of the, the process of knowledge we talk about, there's the grammar stage where you're getting building blocks. There's the logic stage where you're seeing how it all fits together. And there's the rhetoric stage where you're learning to communicate it in your own words. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why we use catechisms with children, where we ask a question, teach them the answer. Um, my four-year-old does not understand fully, oh, she just turned four, what it means when I say, what is our only hope in life and in death? And she can respond with that we are not our own, but we belong to God. She is learning basic catechism. All of my kids are. And I'm watching, though, as, my, as the next older kid, when, we, when our cat died and she's weeping, and I can say, hey, sweetheart, what is our only hope in life and in death? Mm, mm. And she can say that we're not on our own, that we belong to God. Mm. Like Even in, in real-life circumstances now, I can start pulling in, and this is where the logic stage, truths that are in her because we've taught them at the catechism stage, at the grammar stage, that now I'm applying them through those questions to real life. And it's like now she's getting it in a much Mm. deeper way. We can do the same thing with adults. You know, I don't expect a brand new Christian, even as an adult, to understand all of the doctrines of grace and and God's love and his wrath and all that. But I can teach bit by bit in these things that now then as I preach on a Sunday, we start connecting them together. And so uh, some of this is that I think, Pastors assume people can't understand something, which is, by the way, just pride. Mm-hmm. Um, and but secondarily, they they haven't sat down and thought, okay, well, how am I doing this? Am I teaching building blocks and then following up with logic? Um, and so, what they normally opt to is they know that self help sermons are attractional, and so it's way easier to teach about slaying the giants in your life than it is to teach about uh, who God is and and that we are responsible to Him. Um, so yeah, that's, yeah, it's not too complicated. If my four-year-old can get the basics of theology, uh, then just about any can. Yeah. And, and even to encourage, uh, leadership to, uh, empower their youth leaders to teach, uh, to not underestimate the capacity that you have, that the youth have to capture, mm-hmm. uh, these deep, deep truths of scripture. Uh, yeah, I have a four-year-old granddaughter and she spends a lot of time with us and I've, I've taught her what justification means. Yeah, I've I've taught her what redemption means, and we're working on atonement right now. And it it's just you know it's just kind of fun the way we do it. But I'll say, what does justification mean? She'll say, God. She'll come back and point. She'll say, God declares me right with Him. (laughs) What does redemption? What does redemption mean? And she'll say, Jesus washed me of my sins. You know. So I mean, she's four years old, and I I'm kind of experimenting with it. That's um, that's worthwhile. Can I can I make a quick plug on two yes. things there? Not to take two. One is um, Vodi Bakum's expository apologetics. He talks about teaching teaching those kinds of things and then how to bring them in and weave them mm-hmm. in as your kids get older. The other, and I say this cautiously, but the New City Catechism, which is a free app, um, is a great teaching tool. There's a book too. The only downside is it's based on Westminster Confession rather than 1689 London Baptist Confession. Mm-hmm. So you got to watch out for anything related to sprinkling babies in there. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But the rest of that is a really good catechism and um, 
really easy tool. Has so that's what you'd recommend. In. That's what you're using with your children. That is what I'm using with my children. And I, I recommend it with reservations on some of their views. Um, cause I'm, 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 I'm Baptist. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm London Baptist confession. Um, you're still going to get great doctrine. There's just a couple mm-hmm. of caveats in there. Um, and I wish somebody would make an app, uh, catechism based on 1689 London Baptist confession. I would, I would, I would buy stock in that. <laughs> what, what so. value is there in teaching children these deeper truths? Oh man. Well, when it comes to something like catechism, again, it's just the building blocks. It's giving them modes of thought. It's giving them. It prepares them for life, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Um, And so they're, and they can immediately apply it. I mean, I am, my children are applying the theology that we're teaching um, to their daily life. There's hope, there's joy that my daughter has when she experiences loss that she would not have were it not for the truth of God. And uh, absolutely is practical in a daily sense. I would say my entire family has more joy because of doctrine. Mm. And man, it's good news. I love that. Yeah. I love that. It's great to hear a dad say that. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you run a ministry called Underground University. Tell us about what that is, why you're doing yeah. it, who's it for. Yeah. Well, Underground Seminary, technically. Seminary. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, so we, we realized being, uh, being that we were, were leading house churches, there's a lot of heresy actually has happened through home Bible studies. Yes. And yeah. so one of the things we wanted to do is be able to train our elders. So we started off thinking like, I want to just make sure my elders are trained in advanced theology, advanced doctrine. And as I'm putting together all this information, I realized, wow, the, the way that I was trained is actually, I don't mean this in a prideful sense. I mean this, and God has done this. God has blessed me with this. Uh, but man, a lot of my seminarian brothers were not getting the same kind of theology. They were getting how to lead a board meeting and how mm-hmm. to organize your budget. And they weren't getting doctrine. And so sometimes I'll tell people, people are graduating from seminary and we assume that they're ivory tower scholars. It's actually usually the cases that they're not scholars at all in the biblical sense. Um, so I said, I wanted to deliver this kind of doctrine and we wanted to deliver it for free. Uh, I'm already a college professor, but cost way too much to be in my classes mm-hmm. there. And so we were wanted to be able to train our people internally. Uh, we put that together. Um, and the more, more time I invested in it, the more I thought, man, we should allow people outside of this to get access to it and we'll charge them a nominal fee. So we just made it a subscription. It's not accredited, nothing like that, but you do get the same level of training as you would in a master's or in some cases, PhD level classes. Um, and it's for 35 bucks a month. And um, we've, uh, we've gotten great feedback. People are growing in the Lord. It's been a great tool um, because, man, it used to be I would have to send somebody off to seminary and it was going to cost $40,000 for them mm-hmm. to do the study. And now we can say, get on and watch these videos. We do have a live version that people show up to once a month. It's going really well. I'm biased, but it's kind of awesome. Yeah, that's wonderful. I did, I did something on a much lower scale and... Uh, two of my churches took my elders through some uh, doctrinal cool. systematic theology uh, yeah, training, man. and they loved it. They ate it up. It was it was just uh, you know if they're going to lead well, they they need to know the word, and uh, yeah. they they were so thankful for the opportunity that someone cared enough, you know, because there's always been the stereotype that uh, theology is only for those who are in ministry, but that's that's not the case. One of the things I was going to say is even guys that, you know, we, we all know of the guys who are the classically, they're just interested in theology. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even the guys who aren't like that, once they've gotten a taste of good doctrine, they actually really enjoy it. 
Mm-hmm. And so don't, you know, don't think that, uh, that, it, that equipping your elders is for a couple of theology nerds. Once people get a taste for it, God's glorified. They enjoy studying who he is. They're delighting in him mm-hmm. in the process. They're obeying the first and greatest commandment. And um, yeah, so shameless well, you plug live, you for live, Yeah, that, and we'll put a link on the website yeah. for that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, doctrine is, is meant to help us to be uh, more faithful uh, followers of Christ. You know, there's a reason why Paul yeah. said in 1 Timothy 4.16 to watch your life and doctrine closely. There, yeah. this is this is not just head knowledge. It's meant to be practical. It's you know when I do marriage counseling, I talk about the gospel. I talk about what you believe, yeah. and you're probably in this mess because you've been believing the wrong thing, yeah. you know. And the way to get out of this mess is to believe the right thing and to be obedient yeah. to what you believe. So yeah. doctrine really matters. Uh, at the risk of this turning uh, too negative here, I, uh, and I'll okay. give you an opportunity maybe to lift us up after this, but what, as you look across the landscape of the church, and you can even include our denomination with us, what, what is it that concerns you in this area? Uh, in the area of doctrine, um, mm-hmm. I would say the biggest issue is that we are not teaching doctrine, especially as it relates to the gospel. And I would actually say all of doctrine uh, all of right doctrine is built into the gospel. Yeah, the, the, yeah. What we would call the grand narrative of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. We would say the redemption part is the good news of the gospel, but it's in this context of we're created in God's image. We've sinned and separated ourselves from God. Jesus atoned for us with his death on the cross and his resurrection, and we were restored back to God through repentance and faith. Um, and unfortunately, so much preaching then is, is really, we've just turned into self-help preaching that doesn't tie into, mm-hmm. hey, God is the rescuer all the time. So people don't, if you understand the grand narrative there, you understand actually how everything fits into the gospel. And if we're not teaching how everything fits back in the gospel, we immediately create idol factories and people who are trying to make themselves the hero in a bunch of different Bible stories. So subsequently what's happening is people think that it is all up to them. So they're not bold in the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, They're not hopeful in their belief that salvation is God's work, not theirs. Um, they, le- they end up teaching error. And the subsequent reality is that we're, we just are seeing this diminishment in actual powerful teaching. Mm. Um, everybody, though, there's plenty of talk about wanting to see God's firefall or, you know, wanting more or whatever. But I will, I will be so bold as to say most of what they're doing is just idolizing a feeling or even worshiping a false view of God. They're idolaters who have created God in their own image, and they're worshiping themselves. And um, you, you can't worship God without knowing who he is as he mm-hmm. reveals himself. And so I would say what's happening is idolatry. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I think that's what all of this is, is leading to. And so even the idolatry of, well, I want this fresh experience. I'm like, you know, you get to delight in God every day. You get to worship him and study his word and pray. How is that not enough for you? And sure, if he wants to do miraculous things, praise God. Mm. How is that not enough, though? So that means if you don't believe that God and delighting in him daily through his word and prayer and fellowship with the saints, communion, if that's not enough, you're an idolater. And it means you probably aren't redeemed. Mm. Now, Mm. I'd say that with such great caution because they could be redeemed, could be just carnal. I don't want to. But the reality is we are. We're facilitating idolatry in so many churches by not teaching doctrine and then by allowing false doctrine uh, to go on. Uh, it's, yeah. Yeah, I, it's I think often of the song, it is enough that Jesus died and that he died for mm-hmm. me. And, yeah. and uh, what I do in my 
study of the word is to understand that better. You know, there's, I don't want anything more. It's what's yeah. been given to us is, is sufficient. It's yeah. enough. It's beautiful. It's magnificent. And I want to, yeah. I just want to capture that and live my life around. And the other a piece of that is uh, our tendency to present Christ as our example only that, you know, mm-hmm. we, uh, this is how Christ did it now. Uh, and it is yeah. a little bit of this false kinetic thing too, that, you know, yeah. he relied on the Holy Spirit. You can, but in our preaching, mm-hmm. sometimes we'll look at Christ and say, yeah. watch what he did. You go do it. But the fact is yeah. he did it because we can't do it. Exactly. You know, right. He did. He did it in our place. Um, and when I'm asked to be better, to do better, to succeed more, to work harder, I've gotten to a point where like, no, because he did. He, yeah. he did it perfectly. I'll never do it yeah. perfectly. I'm going to mess up. I go to the one who did it perfectly and yeah. he did it for me. Well, that's why all the language of bearing fruit is in abiding in him. That mm-hmm. this is not mm-hmm. me trying yeah. harder. Yeah. It's I'm remembering you know, it was when he says, be perfect as I am perfect, as, as your God is perfect. Well, he's been perfect for me. And so my mm-hmm. job is to abide in him and then bear much fruit, yeah. not yeah. try harder. And um, that is the reality here. Yeah. Yeah. The number of times in the epistles that the refer- the two words in Christ comes up, yes. you know, we are in Christ. Yeah. Beautiful. Any, yeah. any closing thoughts here, Dan, this has been this a wonderful is hour conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I've enjoyed it. Sorry, well, for the two of over. us, I don't know if it will be for others, <laughs> it's but right. it's been fun for us. Yeah. Um, so just as practical things I mentioned, uh, obviously undergroundseminary.net, I'm going to brag on, but also, mm, please um, do. Vodi Bauckham's Expository Apologetics is a really easy, quick read that gives you a clear understanding of how the gospel relates back together. It's immediately practical, a uh, great place to go. But also, um, I will say, fight for the truth. Um, mm. Please don't fall into the trap of thinking that you are somehow holy or pious by letting false teaching or even unclear teaching go. Yeah, uh, I'll tell yeah. you, as a pastor, if I've said something that that isn't clear and someone confronts me and says, this sounded like error, mm. and I say, oh my, that's not what I meant. I'm so sorry there was misunderstanding, and I clarify it. I mm. actually am blessed and enjoy over that. Yeah. A yeah. faithful preacher of the gospel, a faithful teacher, will want you to confront them for clarity. They'll, they'll enjoy it. They'll be happy for it. And it will be the false teachers that won't welcome that. That'll say, don't touch God's anointed or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Be bold if they don't respond well to the scriptural uh, clarification or even rebuke. There's a good chance that it's not a faithful teacher. So yeah. be bold. We need more people yeah. speaking out for the truth desperately. Yeah. And it's for everybody, not just the pastor. Exactly. Right. We, we want the church to be solid because the days ahead are very uncertain. And what we yeah. believe about God and what he's done for us is yeah. uh, the heart of it all. Dan, thank you so much. You did, done, you've done a great job presenting your, your thoughts. And I, I did an okay job asking questions. You I did hope. great. So, thank okay. you. This was fun. We, <laughs> thank you. We I wasn't looking for that, but out. thank you. Okay. <laughs> I enjoyed right. it. It was good. All right. Thanks so much. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Before You Quit podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email me at mitch at beforeyouquit.us. And remember, you can go to our website, and there are already 60 other podcasts that you will find there. And uh, particularly for this podcast, look at the content page, and you'll see the links for the number of things we talked about today. So until next time, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. 
And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. <laughs>